Thank you, Barb, Mike, and Mark. And I really like last week, Luke chapter 4, saying the captives free. I think that was a good way to refer to releasing the children for children in worship. <laughs> I'm going to start writing that in my notes every week so that I remember to do it. Luckily, Barb had me this week. So we have one more week until the gospel project starts, which how many of you at this point have heard of the gospel project? Okay. That means it's what we're doing is working for the most part. But it's summer and, you know, it's hard to catch people every week. But it's our adult and children all ages curriculum that starts next Sunday at 10 a.m. And for the first three weeks of it, we'll be doing a sermon series that follows what it's doing. So uh, you won't be able to escape it for at least three weeks uh, and then some. But as we prepare to do that, I want to talk a little bit about uh, why we're going to do the Gospel Project and what what we're going to be doing while we're doing it and why we do it the way we're doing it. Um, and so I'm going to let you know up front, I'm going to have a little shorter sermon because I did have a special guest who happened to be here this morning. Uh, many of you now know Daryl Davis, our second service worship leader, and his daughter is moving from California to Africa to become a missionary. And she's here this morning, so I'm going to have her share a little bit at the end of the sermon. So just to let you know, don't get too excited when it sounds like I'm wrapping up. But I'm, as I was reading this this week, and I remember Drew's comments last week, he was talking about a famous preacher he likes that doesn't see the value in Christians studying the Old Testament. And this is actually a really common sentiment. There was a very popular movement in the 20th century theologically that said the Old Testament is, you know, Hebrew scripture, that is for the, you know, the Jewish people, and the New Testament is the Christian book. And as you'll see this morning, nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus unites all of the scripture. And in fact, if you try to get to Jesus by only reading the New Testament, it's like, have you ever walked into a meeting that started two hours before you got there and someone makes a comment and everyone but you laughs because there's a context that you're missing? There's something that happened really early on. Or have you ever found out the ending of a movie before seeing the movie and it changes the way you watch the movie? I was trying to think of a good example, and this one's a bit dated, and I don't know how many people will have seen it. Do you guys remember The Sixth Sense? It's like the biggest twist ending of all time, and it's from like 1999, so I don't feel bad spoiling it. It's literally last millennia. And at the end of the movie, you find out the protagonist was a ghost the whole time, that he was dead. And uh, when you know that, which someone told me that before I saw it, uh, it didn't ruin the movie, but I started noticing little subtle clues that the director had left all throughout the movie because I knew where it ended. And what Jesus is going to say to us this morning is, if you now know who Jesus is and what he came to do and what he's about, when you read the Old Testament, you're going to start seeing everything pointing to Jesus from the beginning. And so the, the text that I've chosen this morning is from uh, Luke chapter 24, be 13 to 27. Uh, this is the road to Emmaus. And first, uh, you can turn there in your scripture. I, I'm going to read it to you, and it will be on the screens. And I just ask now that you bow your head for a moment while we pray. Father God, we thank you for the uh, amazing gift that is your written word. And we pray now that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive uh, what you are saying to us today through your living word uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit. 
We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So starting Luke 24 in verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself, this is resurrected Jesus, drew near them and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him and said, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that he had even, uh, that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. This is the word of the Lord. So there's a few things I'd like to call your attention to, and we'll just go through these verses. Um, The first thing here is when I was reading this passage to myself, I actually chuckled. I kind of laughed out loud a couple times because Jesus just amuses me so much here uh, in verses 17 to 19. We'll get there in a second. But as you see, they're doing a seven-mile walk, and I Googled it. The average person walks uh, 20-minute miles which means Jesus has a 2.3-hour sermon, which I think should be the Christian standard now. And starting this morning... No, I'm kidding. And uh, so he's, they're talking for a couple hours, and they don't recognize him. And it says this in verse 16. It says, Their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And there's a thing that translators and commentators and scholars will refer to as what's called the divine passive. Uh, anytime there's a passive voice, someone is doing something, and there's no agency describing. It doesn't say who is keeping them from recognizing this. It's called the divine passive. Anytime there's a passive voice like that with no agency ascribed, you are to assume that it is God. So God, for whatever reason, is keeping them from recognizing him. And, and the reason is going to be that Jesus is going to explain to them how to read all of their scriptures. But this is my favorite part. And this is, by the way, I don't know if any of you are familiar with the writer G.K. Chesterton. He's a British writer around the same time as C.S. Lewis. One of my favorite writers, in fact, one of my favorite books by him is called Orthodoxy. But the statement I disagree with most, the very last sentence of the book, he said the one attribute that Jesus never showed us in his time on earth was his mirth. He says, you know, he reads the Gospels and says Jesus had no sense of humor. And I completely disagree because listen to this. This is Jesus resurrected. Crucifixion is three days ago, pretty fresh on his mind. And they say, 
are you the only visitor? Uh, they say, uh, you know, what's this conversation you guys are having as you walk? And they stood still and said, and they said, are you the only one who doesn't know what's happened in these days? Uh, you know, all these things. And Jesus says, what things? It's like, come on, Jesus, you know what things. But for some reason, I don't know why. He's, he's, he's having a conversation like this. And they said to him, concerning Jesus and Nazareth. And so they say everything they know and they believe about Jesus. And then Jesus is like, okay, now I'm going to fill in the gaps. Now we're going to open the scriptures. And in fact, this is where we get to with the gospel project. So starting next week, we're in Genesis 1. We're going to go all the way through the Old Testament in due time and through the New Testament. But in verse 25, Jesus says to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He calls his followers foolish for not knowing the Old Testament well enough. Now that should be a ringing indictment for Christians to read the Old Testament. And not to just to read it, but he also says how to read it. He goes on, he says, in beginning um, with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, this is going to be done over the course of the Gospel Project, and um, I'd be more than happy to go through it all right now. But I actually have a four-minute video that I think is going to say it better than I can. This is from uh, one of my favorite pastors in the country. In fact, he didn't make this video. Someone just took a four-minute clip of one of his sermons and added a little video to it. So I invite you to turn your eyes up to the screens, and maybe we can turn the lights down a little bit, and we'll watch. What is the Bible really about? Is the Bible basically about me and what I must do? Or is it basically about Jesus and what he has done? When you read in Luke and Acts how Jesus, in those 40 days, uh, got his disciples together, 40 days before he ascended, after he was raised, what was he doing? Basically, he was saying, everything in the Old Testament is about me. He says, the reason you didn't understand what I was about was you didn't realize that everything in the prophets and the Psalms and the, the law was pointing to me. Do you believe the Bible is basically about you or basically about him? Is David and Goliath basically about you and how you can be like David and Goliath or basically about him, the one who really took on the mate, the only giants that can really kill us? And so his victory is imputed to us. Who's it really about? That's the fundamental question. And when that happens, then you start to read the Bible new, you know. Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden, his garden, a much tougher garden, and whose obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Abel, who though innocently slain has blood that cries out, not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. Jesus is the true and better Abraham, who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go into the, wor- into the void, not knowing whither he went. Jesus is the true and better Isaac, who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us all. While God said to Abraham, now I know you love me, because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from me. Now we at the foot of the cross can say to God, now we know that you love me, because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from me. 
Jesus is the true and better Jacob who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserve so we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace that wake us up and discipline us. Jesus is the true and better Joseph who is at the right hand of the king and forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his power to save them. Jesus is the true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better rock of Moses who struck with the rod of God's justice now gives us water in the desert. Jesus is the true and better Job. He's a truly innocent sufferer who then intercedes for and saves his friends. Jesus is the true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. Jesus is the true and better Esther, who didn't just risk losing an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life. Who didn't just say, if I perish, I perish, says, when I perish, I'll perish for them, to save my people. Jesus is the true and better Jonah, who was cast out into the storm so we could be brought in. He's the real Passover lamb. He's, he's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, the true bread. The Bible's not about you. See, I couldn't have said all that in four minutes. You would have had the 2.3 hour sermon if I had done all that for you. But, and that is just a taste, right, of what's What's in the Old Testament? The riches that are there, and now we'll be reading it exactly in the way that Jesus told us we should be reading it. He showed us how to do it. He walked with them for two hours, pointing to the Old Testament and showing himself in it. And the the point here is that all of Scripture finds its fullest meaning in Jesus. All of Scripture finds its fullest meaning in Jesus and the Gospel, which is why we go through all of Scripture with, a, with an eye on Jesus in the gospel. So when we participate in the gospel project, we'll be reading the Bible in the way that Jesus showed us to. Now there's a couple, I don't know if you're interested in these terms or not, but this is uh, the contrast between whether the Bible is about uh, Jesus or us. I wholeheartedly agree with, uh, that's Tim Keller, by the way, in the video, who's a Presbyterian minister. Uh, I wholeheartedly agree with him. The Bible is primarily about Jesus, but... The whole story of the Bible is about God's relationship to humanity. So it's actually not an either-or, but it is. if you have to say who it's primarily about, it is primarily about Jesus. We find Jesus uh, alluded to and pointed to all throughout Scripture. And the, the terms that uh, Bible commentators use, is the term for what you want to do when you correctly study the Bible is exegesis, which means to draw out. You want to draw out the meaning. And when you're doing it incorrectly, it's called eisegesis, which means you're reading meaning into the text. And in the 21st century, what people have commented on is they say it's a new scriptural reading flaw to call it narcissus, meaning you read yourself <laughs> into every passage. You become the main character of every story you read. And uh, this is what the video is correcting, and it's kind of pointing out that error. But we don't want to overcorrect. And so we will see not... You know, Jesus' whole purpose is to glorify God the Father, but it is also to redeem, renew, and restore humanity and all of creation. And so we're a part of that story uh, in every sense. And so when we want to find the truest meaning of all of Scripture, then we need to look at it, all of Scripture, in the way that it points to Jesus. And so Jesus and and the gospel are the focal point of Scripture, and therefore, as Christians, it means that we have to have Jesus and the gospel at the center of our lives. And we'll explore the implications of that each week as we go. 
But the bottom line here is that the gospel changes everything. And Jesus changes everything. And because the gospel changes everything, it changes the way we read every chapter of the Bible. And it changes every aspect of our lives. And speaking of changing every aspect of your lives, I'd like to now bring up Melody Davis, who uh, was happily working in uh, Southern California. She holds a, an MA from Azusa Pacific Seminary. And uh, Jesus changes your life, right? He, uh, you can grab that microphone. And you were not planning on moving to Africa and becoming a missionary, but the gospel changes everything. And so just like to invite you to share for a few minutes, and then we will come up and pray for you. Thanks, Melody. Hello, good morning. My name is Melody, and I am the oldest favorite daughter of Daryl Davis. (laughs) Um, Just kidding. My sister Hope is here as well. Um, So I am, like you said, um, born here in Cincinnati. Actually, went to Finneytown High School. um, Graduated in '05, and um, just um, as a child, grew up here in Cincinnati. But when I was about eight years old, my parents um, and four siblings we all moved to Jamaica, and so we were missionaries there. And I believe um, for me as a kid. I really got to just see God come alive and to really be a part of um, watching my parents care for the poor and really being the hands and feet of Jesus. And so it was a cool way for me um, growing up to just um, take an interest and a value in caring and loving people. And so kind of throughout my life, ended up moving to California um, in 2010. Um, And so I studied at Azusa Pacific University, which was really amazing. Um, Initially, I went to California thinking I would move back here, um, but kind of fell in love with the sun and uh, the beaches. And so (laughs) I've been in California the past eight years. Um, So while in California, I've had the honor of serving with um, a missions organization called Reach Up and Reach Out. And so Reach Up and Reach Out, it's based in LA, um, but it partners with widows and orphans in Uganda in Africa. And so throughout the past couple of years, I've gotten to go to Africa um, twice with the group, actually three times with the group, um, and serve with the children, orphan children, and some widows that live um, in the slums. And so it's been a really meaningful um, experience for me. And here's a picture of um, some of the kids that we partner with. So we take groups of missionaries to Africa to expose them um, just to the great need and also to be um, God's hands and feet. And so for me, I got to go and help lead art workshops um, with the kids. And many of these children live um, in huts. Like, you know, you see on TV, they have no shoes. They don't have many clothes. Um, a lot of their possessions are the things that are just on their body, like the one T-shirt they own. And so we got to really go and bring um, just love and gifts. And so... Um, there's a couple more pictures, but a really cool thing is that, um, so I've gone twice with the group and really just felt God's call to be a part um, even deeper. And so initially it was just like a trip, but then I felt God kind of calling me to be there um, full time. So as of last or two weeks ago, I was accepted a position to teach um, at an elementary school in Uganda. So I said, yes, <laughs> my dad was scared, but he's now very supportive. And I will be moving from California to Africa um, at the end of September. And I'm really excited, kind of nervous, but I know that this is something that is really dear to my heart and that God has really opened up um, the door and the chance to be kind of there um, long term. So I would love to just invite you all to partner with me in two ways, one being prayer, um, kind of like Mike talked about, God really um, kind of came into my life and changed everything. I wasn't planning on moving, but um, Jesus has a way of doing that. So I would love you all to um, pray with me and just to be a part of um, asking God to cover me with um, protection and all that good stuff. And then also, um, financially, it does cost to kind of move. So I would love, if you're interested in supporting me financially, I'll be around and Mike can kind of give you info on that as well. But um, I do have a little video that I'm going to show that kind of gives a visual of what um, I'll be doing in country. But thank you all so much.
My name is Melody, and I'm passionate about God and art. I love to create and see people express themselves um, in the way that God has created us. Yeah, serving with Rural has added a lot to my life. Um, it has given me kind of an outlet for the things that I am passionate about, which are art um, and just loving God's people. So it's been a huge way that I've um, kind of found peace and an escape from kind of the daily nine to five life. Um, Rural has given me um, just a place to come alive and learn more about myself as I'm serving other people, um, as well as stretching my leadership. Because for me, it is more than just um, a one-time trip. It really is a part of who I am, I believe. Yes, if I had to do it all over again, I would definitely serve with Ruro. Um, I hope to continue to do it until I'm old. <laughs> and now I'd just like to invite uh, Tom and Robin Reichel from our missions team. And of course, you know, Daryl and any elders that are present to lay hands on her. And at CHBC, we have a very long tradition uh, of sending missionaries across the world. And we've only known, I've only known Melody for about uh, an hour now. But in CHBC, that's good enough, right? You're part of the missionary family now. We're all part of the kingdom. And Daryl has been uh, a part of our family since December. And uh, so it's literally part of your family. And I know it's a good day to be a dad. So Tom, would you lead us in prayer? And we'll lay hands on Melody. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Lord, this is a special day when we send one of your children a long way away to do your work. We send Melody to a, another country where there's a great need to serve children, to be a teacher. To send, to spread peace, spread your word, spread grace, and help people in parts of the world who need more assistance. Lord, I thank you for Melody's obedience to you and the calling that you have given to her. Lord, I pray that you would continue to provide for her, Lord, that she would be continually in awe of what you provide. Lord, I thank you that you are sending her to be hope where there may be hopelessness, Lord, where there is a need for healing, Lord, not a, even of the physical body, Lord, but just of the emotional and the spiritual, Lord, that she would be used by you to, to heal Lord, I pray for restoration and redemption in the areas that she walks. Lord, that that would be a witness to you. Father, I pray that she would be able to speak the words of the gospel and of your salvation for others. Lord, that the Holy Spirit would go before her and prepare a way and open up hearts that they would receive that word. Lord, I pray that you would use her in mighty ways, Father, and that she would not be the same person that she's leaving here as. Protect her, Father God, as she enters into a world that may have darkness. God, we just ask that you, she be your hands and feet. Lord, that you will go before her. Father God, um, quiet her heart and um, just give her discernment, Father. 
Lord, we just ask that the angels are encamped around her. Bless her and keep her. Pour into her, Father God, your Holy Spirit. Lord, may she be a light on a hill. Father God, may the children be attracted to your presence in her body, Father God. And Lord, just bless her. And Father, we just ask that you provide wisdom, you provide protection, and you provide um, an abundance for your child. As we send her out, Father God, we know that you've never seen a righteous forsaken or the seeds begging bread. Father God, just thank you in Jesus' name. Father God, we do lift up. We pray for uh, protection. We pray for clarity. We pray for encouragement uh, as, as uh, she prepares to weather the storm and, and proclaim the gospel. Uh, we just pray uh, against the, uh, the evils that she will encounter there, systemic and, and personal and individual. And we just pray that you would um, give her great conviction and boldness uh, as you've given to many throughout the years. Uh, and we just pray that your gospel may advance, that your kingdom may be built uh, in every corner of the earth. And we ask all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.